0: I want to ask you today, uh, how many of, of you would say that you love change? <laughs> me neither. <laughs> I, I have to say, I think for the most part, uh, there are exceptions, but for the most part, I'm one who finds security in routine, and, and change comes a bit hard for me. Uh, computer and cell phone upgrades, they drive me nuts. Uh, I, I have to admit, sometimes there are some improvements that come with it, but why do they have to do, change them so often? I kind of like that motto, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? Um, I don't need my furniture rearranged often. I, if it looked good when we moved in, it still looks good there now. Um, I, I don't need new clothes often. Uh, most of the stuff I wore last decade hasn't really worn out yet. Um, might start looking a little bit tired, but sometimes it's kind of like parting with old friends to get rid of some of it. Um, relationship changes can be hard for me and for some of you, too. Uh Dear folks that uh, have been a part of our families and a part of our congregation grow up and they graduate. Some pursue uh, further education elsewhere. Some take job transfers and move away. Some die. And, you know, we try to be excited for those who have moved on to new and better things, including even those who are now enjoying the glories of heaven, but we miss them. And so we should have no problem then identifying with the disciples today in the text that we look at as Jesus talked to them about a major change that was coming in their lives. The change he speaks about to them is that soon he was going to go away and leave them, returning to his Father in heaven, and they would no longer then see him and talk with him face to face. And they've become quite distraught at this news, uh, even though Jesus had sought to prepare them for a while about this, yet... Um, Now it was becoming imminent, and and they were quite troubled about it. And and so Jesus speaks to them about this change, and and how it actually is going to be to their advantage. I invite you to look with me at John chapter 16, and we'll be reading verses 5 through 15. And, And I invite you to stand now in reverence to God's word as we read. John 16, beginning with verse 5. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose it to you, what is to come." He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things the Father has are mine, therefore I said that He, what he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for this, your word to us through Jesus as he talked with the disciples uh, that night before he was arrested and then crucified, Lord, and uh, preparing them for what was to come, for a big change. Uh, Lord, apply this to our hearts too as, as we recognize then what, what he tells us here that there is an advantage that he left this earth physically and, and sent the holy spirit uh, we pray in jesus name amen, amen. please be seated So on the night before Jesus was to die on the cross, he he spent time with the disciples in the upper room. He he washed their feet. He celebrated the Passover meal with them and instituted the Lord's Supper and, and talking with them much then about what was going to happen in the future. And in the Gospel of John, we have chapters 13 through 16 that are mostly Jesus' words to them that night. And among other things, Jesus had told them that he was going to go away and leave them and, and also that they were going to experience persecution and even martyrdom. Um, and, and it was all quite sobering to them, and their hearts were filled with sorrow. And so it's very interesting what Jesus says next, which, which probably stunned them a bit. He says, but I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. To your advantage? Jesus, are you kidding? We, we, we want to keep you around, they must have thought. How could it be an advantage? How is it an advantage to lose a family member or a a mentor or someone you love? We don't generally think that way, do we? But Jesus goes on to very clearly then explain how it is to their advantage that he'll lead them soon. And and as we look at the reasons behind what he says to disciples here, I want to encourage you that those same advantages that he said were coming for them, when he would go away from them, back to his Father in heaven, Those are also advantages for us who are living today compared to back in those days when Jesus walked the earth. And so look with me at that. Reasons that Jesus returning to the Father in heaven was and is an advantage to his disciples. Did you notice what he said there in the beginning of verse 5? But now I am going to him who sent me. Now why would he do that? Well, the same reason that we go back to somebody who sent us somewhere. The job is done. When I was a farm kid, Dad sent us out with a tractor and an implement behind it out into the field to do a job. And when the field had been covered, then report back because you completed the task. Jesus was telling the disciples that he soon will have completed what he came to the earth to accomplish. The disciples didn't understand this yet. But Jesus tells them that they will understand it later. Well, later includes now. And now we know the redemptive work of Jesus Christ is done. And it is to advantage to us who live today then, because we don't have to go through, for instance, those years of waiting and hoping that the Messiah would come to save the world from sin, because he has come and he has completed that work. We don't have to go through that confusion that the disciples did as they tried to understand what was happening as their closest friend and teacher was arrested and then hung on a cross and died. For us, it has been clearly revealed in the written word of God. These things were all part of God's salvation plan. His plan to send his only son to earth, who would take on human form, first as a baby born in the stable, and his plan that, would, that this one, then, would be different from any human who had ever lived before him. He would live 33 years in perfect obedience to God, never once sinning against God or man. And yet people would hate him and would accuse him unjustly and have him beaten mercilessly and hung on a cross to die. That was all part of God's plan, but it was only part of it. After the world would kill this one who, who was above reproach... It, and think that now he was gone forever. Then God would reveal the rest of his plan, included raising this son back to life again from the grave, and thus conquering sin and death itself. And with that then, Christ's work in the flesh would be done. On the cross, that sinless one would have died in the place of sinners, taking the wages of our sin and death on himself. And in the resurrection, he would show, then, his power over death, proving his identity, then, as the Son of God, and gaining victory, then, over the enemy that none of us could have defeated. And with that, then, Jesus Christ's redemptive work on earth would be done. I don't know if we have any farmers here today they are probably out in the field right now, but for any farmers, when you finish planting this year, are you going to leave your tractor and and the cedar out there in the field? Not likely, because you'll be done with the job then. Kids, uh, are you going to keep showing up at that school building um, in mornings here in June? Not likely, because you're done with the school year. So it was that there's no longer any reason then for the Son of God to stay on this earth physically. And that is why he ascended back to heaven. He had finished his work. But wait, you might say, wouldn't it be better for us though? Who us who believe in Jesus, uh, to still have him here physically? Uh, just like it's generally better uh, for a child to have their parents uh, physically present in, this daily, in their daily life? Well, think about it. That changes too, doesn't it? Why don't all of our adults' kids stay living with us after they get married, for instance? Because we're done raising them and they're done being raised. And, and, and when they have their own spouse and family, generally it is time to move on. When Jesus Christ's redemptive work was done, then it was to the disciples' advantage, and ours too, that he went back to the one who sent him. Because also of the second advantage we have, then of living today, is this, that the Holy Spirit has come. The Holy Spirit is a third part of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All of them have been around from eternity past. Um, When we look back in Genesis, they were there at creation. That's why it says there, let us make man in our image. All three are mentioned at different times in the Old Testament. Um, In in one way or another, they're they're mentioned in the Gospels um, at Jesus' baptism, for instance, and other times as well. And, And so the Holy Spirit has been around and at work long before Pentecost. And it was the Holy Spirit of God that inspired the Old Testament prophets to write, predicting the details of the coming Messiah. And it was the Holy Spirit that inspired the New Testament Gospel writers as well. So I believe it's right to say, really, that the Holy Spirit of God has always been needed in order to get anyone to believe in Jesus. To me, though, the most helpful verses explaining the difference, then, that comes with Pentecost are what I see, for instance, in John chapter 14, where Jesus says this. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. You catch that difference? It seems to me, based on this verse and others, it's right to say that before Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was with God's people, was working on people to get them to believe. But after Pentecost, he was also dwelling within God's people. And that's part of why Jesus says to disciples, it's better for them that he go away in order that the Holy Spirit, the the Helper, would come to them. As the Father sent the Son to complete his mission, so the Son sends the Holy Spirit at Pentecost in order to continue the work begun by Jesus. And you see, part of the advantage is this sin. Whereas while Jesus was physically here on this earth, he was limited by his earthly body. Like us who can only be in one place at one time. None of you have figured out how to be in two places at one time, have you? Well, after Jesus physically ascended to heaven, then he sent his spirit to be with and in indwelling each and every one of his disciples individually, no matter where they were. And that's a still an advantage for us today as believers in Jesus Christ. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit. It's interesting to me, the words used to describe the Holy Spirit in these verses Um, depending on the Bible translation. Um, In the Greek, it is the paraclete, which means the one who comes alongside of to help. Other translations use the word helper, advocate, and and comforter. All of those partially describe the amazing role that the Spirit plays in the life of a disciple of Jesus. We have a further description in these verses in John 16, though, of uh, how the Holy Spirit, or what the Holy Spirit does, particularly in connection with the world. He's God's messenger to bring people to believe in and to follow Jesus. For instance, in the explanation to the third article of the Creed, it states this, I believe that I cannot, by my own reason or strength, believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, or come to him, but the Holy Spirit has called me through the gospel. The primary means that the Holy Spirit uses today to bring people to faith in Jesus is the written word of God. And through it, he does something. He he convicts the world. You might say part of the Holy Spirit's job is to strike the conscience of the world. In verse 8 here, John spells it out this way. He, when he comes, will convict the world concerning three things. Concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Concerning sin. and Now, according to the Bible, what is sin? Sin is any thought, feeling, word, or act contrary to God's holy law. Our creator God has established certain laws, certain moral absolutes, and, and declared that doing contrary to them is, is wrong. And you know, about everyone in the world believes in right and wrong to some, in, in some way. Um, but they would like to set their own standards of what is right and wrong. For instance, uh, most everyone would agree. As we think of things that have been in the news lately. We would agree that a a gunman walking into a school or a church or a mall and shooting anyone he wishes is wrong. It is a horrible evil. But some would still like to think that it should be a mother's choice to end an innocent life of a baby in the womb, even when it's as far along as in the Tonneson family coming any day now. The Holy Spirit speaks to us through the Word of God to show us that That God knows each human being even when they're in the womb. And and he forms them there. And and he has a plan for each human life. And and that is wrong then for any individual to on their own choose to end the life of another. And, And so then it is breaking the fifth commandment, thou shalt not murder. The Holy Spirit's job is partly then to strike the conscience of the world. Convict the world of its sinful rebellion against God and his standards of right and wrong. But did you notice what Jesus says here in verse 9? He will convict the world concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Lenski describes this as the capital sin, not believing in Jesus. The Spirit's work is to confront the world with the terrible fact of its unbelief in Jesus. You, you see, all other sins are forgivable. But refusal to believe in Jesus throughout one's life dooms one to hell for eternity, since Jesus is the only way to that other eternal destination of heaven. On Pentecost Sunday, when when Peter, empowered by the Holy Spirit, preached that sermon um, that's told us about in Acts chapter 2, and and there were 3,000 people that came to believe in Jesus that day. Do you remember how that happened? Peter had pointed out to the listeners that day, that they had been a part of the crowd that had hollered for Jesus to be crucified on the cross. And then th- three days later, Jesus had been raised by God from the dead. And-, and shown to be truly the Son of God, the promised Savior. And do you recall their response when they heard this? It tells us in Acts chapter 2, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. That is, they were convicted of their sin, of unbelief in Jesus. And they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter says, Repent, and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so there we saw the Holy Spirit at work here. The Holy Spirit empowered Peter to, to preach and to speak boldly, and the Holy Spirit then convicted the listeners of their sin and unbelief and brought them to repentance so that they turned around. And they became believers. And then they were baptized and, they came, and the Holy Spirit came to live within their hearts. Jesus said the Holy Spirit would convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Let's talk about righteousness. You know, We all, by nature, try to establish our own righteousness. We do it, whether you realize it or not. We, we compare ourselves to others. And we say things like, well, look at what he did. I haven't done anything as bad as that. Or or I haven't committed as many sins as she has. Or or I haven't, well, I've done more good than bad. Or, Or we say, well, everyone else is doing it. And you see, as long as we compare ourselves to everyone else but Jesus, we have some hope of establishing our own righteousness. But when we compare ourselves to the sinless one, we all fall short. And Jesus said here in verse ten, the Holy Spirit will convict the world of righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will no longer see and you no longer see me. You see, when when Jesus no longer would be physically present on the earth, then we could avoid comparing ourselves to him, because he wasn't right there, we thought. But the Holy Spirit speaks through the written word of God to still convict us then of our unrighteousness by holding up Jesus, the perfect one, who willingly died in our place. And so part of the Holy Spirit's job then is to convict everyone in the world of their own bad record and of Jesus' perfect record, so that each one would then humble themselves in confession of sin and look to and believe in Jesus, the sinless Son of God, and trust in his righteousness instead of our own. And the third thing the Holy Spirit is to convict the world of is judgment. Judgment. Now, mankind would like to live with a perspective that says, you know, I can do anything I want. There are no consequences. But that is simply not true. And we need to be brought face to face with that reality. And that happens as we are reminded that none of us are going to live forever and that we will all die someday. And then what? The Bible tells us it's appointed unto man once to die. And after this comes judgment. It further tells us that That physical death is the judgment of God on all sinners. And spiritual death is the judgment of God on those sinners who refuse to repent of their sins and believe in Jesus. And I can think of examples of of where the sober reminder of a young death has jarred some from their spiritual apathy and shown them their need to be ready themselves. An example that comes to my mind is of a family where they had a young cousin of... Uh, in that family that that was killed years ago in a three-wheeler accident. And the reality of that death so confronted that family that the parents got serious about their relationship with the Lord and they became regular in their church attendance and began reading the Bible and praying at home. And, And this led to each of their children coming to a personal living faith in Jesus. And some of them went off to our Bible college after high school Today, two of the four kids are are pastors in our AFLC, and and others are serving the Lord in other ways. And some of their grandchildren have been ones that have been here teaching vacation Bible school um, to some of our kids in the past. And it all started with the Holy Spirit working a change of heart in a young couple as he convicted them of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And they came to believe in and follow Jesus in their life. Look at verse 11 here says, and concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. You, you see, Satan, the ruler of this world, has already been judged. It's too late for him. Hell is being reserved for him, the Bible tells us. But it's not too late for you to avoid that fate, because today is still a day of grace. The Holy Spirit's job is to convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. So have you allowed him to do that in your life? Have you allowed him to show you your sin and Christ's righteousness and also the judgment that awaits you if you refuse to look to Jesus? And are, if you are a believer today, are you, are you continuing to then allow him to have his work in your life and, and lead you to repentance and faith each day? Or are you in some way resisting the conviction of the Holy Spirit today? There are two other things that the Holy Spirit does according to these verses. Um, You see it in verse 12 and 13 there. He will guide followers in the truth. He guided the apostles to record the details and doctrines found in the New Testament. But he also guides us in in our lives today if we allow him to do that. And he does so through the written word of God. I like to remind my confirmation class sometimes um, that um, one way to think of it is this. B-I-B-L-E stands for this. Uh, basic instructions before leaving earth if you desire God to guide your life then tune into the Holy Spirit's guidance regularly by getting into the Word of God reading and spending time in his word he can also guide us in, in sharing this word then with other people and, and inviting them to hear it proclaimed and, and some of you are inviting people. I, I know that to be true because there are new people showing up almost every week here lately. And, and some of them I hear, well, it's because so-and-so invited. I, I'd like to encourage you to consider making use of that insert, as Pastor Ryan mentioned already this morning. Um, that that um, Use it as a tool to invite somebody to come to that ambassador concert uh, later this month. And, and, and tell them you'll meet them here uh, for the taco feed beforehand and sit with them at the concert. and. I believe you'll hear some excellent music and some testimonies that point us to Jesus and and the relationship with him. Lastly, the Holy Spirit's role, verses 14 and 15 tell us, is to glorify Jesus. Verse 14, he will glorify me for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. The Holy Spirit has no need to glorify himself his whole purpose is to show people their sin and their need for a savior and then point them to that savior. He's the spirit of truth. He, he's the advocate for sinners who trust in Jesus. He's the comforter. He's the helper who comes alongside and who guides in our earthly lives. And so you see, we do have advantages living today compared to those that lived before Christ came to the earth or even during his earthly ministry because now, now, The redemptive work of Jesus Christ is done and the Holy Spirit has come to convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment and to guide followers of Jesus in the truth and to glorify Jesus every day. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord God, for your word, for this reminder, Lord. For us who are believers in Jesus Christ, we we recognize the the amazing work of the Holy Spirit who called us... uh, through your word and convicted us of sin and and pointed us to Jesus, uh, the Savior. Lord, we thank you for that. And we thank you that uh, for us who believe in you, then you continue to guide us in our daily lives as we hear your word. And Lord, we pray that you would direct each one of us in our lives. Lord, if there be somebody here today who has not turned their heart Jesus. Uh, we, we pray that even today uh, your Holy Spirit would convict them of judgment that is coming for all who, are, who have not faced their, their sin and their need for a Savior. And, and Lord, that you would help them that even today they would humble themselves and admit that sin and trust in Jesus for forgiveness and eternal life. And, and know the joy uh, of uh, your presence with us in our daily lives. Something that we can't explain because we can't see it with our eyes, but lord is very real and we thank you for that in jesus name amen